O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. That's what the words say. Um, what a great hymn, what a great carol, what a great reminder here at Christmas time of how it is we ought to feel, how we ought to be. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. You've probably sang that many, many times as I have, and and yet the words are somewhat troubling to us, aren't they? Who exactly was the author speaking to? Who was he uh, imploring to come? Who was he? Who was this faithful crowd he was talking to about coming to behold um, the, the the baby uh, Jesus in Bethlehem? Surely he was speaking to someone besides me. Perhaps he's speaking to the to the shepherds who had heard the message of the angels. Unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Perhaps he's talking to those shepherds who made their way to Bethlehem and saw the great shepherd who was lying there in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Or maybe he was talking to the prophets, to Anna and Simeon, who came to the temple as was their custom, but on this particular day, saw the long-awaited-for Messiah, looked at the baby that was being dedicated to the Lord on that particular day, and recognized him immediately as the long-awaited one that the prophets had been speaking about. Or maybe he was talking to the Magi, those wise men who traveled from the east so far, uh, risking their lives, risking their safety, and yet coming to see a king that is born king of the Jews all of those, the prophets, the shepherds, and the magi, rejoiced when they came to the place, rejoiced when they saw the king, and bowed down and worshipped him, all in their different ways, but bowed to him and worshipped him. Surely he was speaking to some of them, but surely not me. After all, there's times when I feel so unfaithful. There's times when I feel that I'm anything but faithful. And quite frankly, there are many times when I am not particularly joyful or triumphant. I know, I know this is the most wonderful time of the year. This is the time when we ought to be singing White Christmas and talking about the beauty of Christmas, the beauty of a white Christmas, the exciting of a white Christmas. And yet for many of us, many times Christmas is quickly going from white to blue. And the blue Christmas sets in and we are not so joyful. I know it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for many of you, many of you who are looking at this and watching this and thinking as we come into the Christmas season, I feel a little bit blue. I, I'm a little, um, for one reason or another, less excited about this wonderful time of the year. All kinds of things can cloud our vision and change our perspective on that. Surely he's talking to me, maybe. Well, one thing I know as a believer, we don't always feel triumphant. We don't always feel um, uh, uh, joyful. But I know this. I've learned through my life that the, the times when I am least joyful, the times when I am least uh, triumphant are the times when I am most self-centered. If, if I allow myself to center, to focus on me and suspect that the world should revolve around me, that's when the times become most blue and most difficult and most disheartening. I am more miserable when I am most egocentric. I am less miserable when I am most 
Christ-centric. When I understand and remember that all things revolve around Christ, when I, as the songwriter said, can bring myself to the place to come and adore Him, to worship Him as Lord of Lords, as King of Kings, when I can worship Him as the great shepherd of my soul, the Savior of my soul, when I can recognize Him as the the Messiah, the, the Savior, the Deliverer from God, when I can recognize Him as the King of Kings, and that everything is revolving around Him, there is a joy and excitement and triumph and victory that comes into my life. And I suspect that many of you know that. But what does it look like? How do we do that? I know what you're saying. You're saying, I've tried, Eddie. I just don't know that I can get there. It's been a tough year. For whatever reason, maybe there's a a relative or a relationship that is not in your life at this particular time, um, whether it's through death or a tragedy or whatever else, or or maybe it's a change in situation. Maybe you're just lonely because you're away from your family, you're away from your friends. Maybe you've moved to a new area, a new place, and you don't know anybody, you can't get out. Whatever it is that brings you that place of less than joyful attitude or less than joy in spirit and triumph in spirit, whatever it is, you just can't get past. You try, you try, you work at it, you try to do better, just can't get by it. And then this faithfulness thing. I want to be faithful to Christ. I want to be among the faithful, but how do I do that? Where does that come from? What does it look like? I just feel like a failure too many times when it comes to faith, when it comes to being faithful and growing in my faith. Well, I've got good news for you today, and I can't wait to unpack a little bit of Scripture that will tell you something that I think will bless your heart. It certainly has mine. And here's the good news. God's faithfulness to us isn't based on us. Let me say that one more time. God's faithfulness to us isn't based on us. So even when we experience failure, and even when we are less than faithful, and even when we are too egocentric, and even when we are miserable rather than joyful, and defeated rather than triumphant, doesn't mean God has left us nor forsaken us. I want to take you to Paul's letter to Timothy. Second Timothy, his second letter, actually, in Second Timothy chapter 2, we find Timothy, uh, Paul addressing young Timothy uh, as he prepares to give the baton of ministry over to him. He's mentored Timothy. He's worked with Timothy. Uh, Timothy has grown in his faith and grown in his faithfulness, and, and Timothy has been by Paul's side, and now Paul senses that his time of ministry is coming to an end. He's writing to Timothy saying, I, I want to pass this baton of leadership to you, but before I do, I have a few things I want want to say to you. And one of the things that he wants to say to him, we're going to read today, and I I think his word to Timothy is really a word to us. I I love the relevance of Scripture and how it is not time sensitive. It just just goes beyond the ages. And once again, even though the letter was written 2,000 years ago, it's very relevant to us. And what Paul said to Timothy is so true of us. So I want to read the words that he said, and I want to come back and unpack them a little bit and show you how he was saying to Timothy something that needs to be said to us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, listen to verse 8. Remember, he says, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Remember Jesus Christ. That's always good advice, right? But it seems obvious, but he begins to unpack that a little bit. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. Don't let that go by too quickly. For which I suffer, 
Paul is writing from a place of suffering to a people who are suffering. He's writing from a place of imprisonment to people who feel imprisoned. He's writing from a place that could easily be seen as defeat and discouragement to a people who are defeated and discouraged. And yet he's going to say, by all rights, we need to understand that we can be joyful because we are triumphant in Christ. He continues, but the word of God is not bound. Even though I'm bound, the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a saying, or this saying is trustworthy. This saying is trustworthy. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So remember, Paul is writing to a people who are suffering. He's writing to a people who, no doubt, at least in moments, must feel discouraged, must feel defeated, less than joyful, and less than triumphant. So how do they remain? He's encouraging them to remain joyful through this letter. How do they do that? What does that look like? How can we live joyfully, triumphantly, when we're in times of suffering, when we're in times of hurt, when we're in times of blue um, periods, when we're in times of mourning, when we're in times of grief, when we're in times of defeat, whatever it may be? How, how do we do this, Paul? What does it look like? How do we do it? Do we just try harder? Do we just try to get better? Do, do we just hope that things turn? Do we just keep on living like we're living in hopes that at some point it's going to turn around? What does he say? Well, Paul gives us the clear answer, and he starts simply with this. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Now, folks, listen, I'm convinced that where we must start is to get away from our idea that the world centers around us and understand that it all centers around Christ. And the focus, as long as it's on me, it's going to leave me open to conditions and circumstances in the world that will rob me of joy. But if I can keep my perspective and my focus Christ-centered, then nothing can take away the joy and the peace that we have. Then, then we understand what Paul meant when he said that we can have a peace that passes understanding and we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. How? Only as we learn to keep Jesus prominent. I know that it's been a tough year and I know that many of you have had times of suffering or grief in the past year or maybe the past two years. You know, the Lord did not keep us from suffering. He did not promise to keep us from suffering. John 17, he says very clearly that in this world, we are going to have tribulation. But then he says, I've not overcome or I've overcome the world, even in that sense. He promised to sustain us through sufferings, Romans 8, not to keep us from those sufferings. Simone, while, um, while not necessarily a theologian we could recommend, certainly is, is, is nailed one point that I can agree with. Here's what she said. She said, the extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural cure for suffering, but a supernatural use of it. 
Wow, what a good thought. While, there is, while Christianity is not a cure to, to keep us from suffering, there is certainly a supernatural use of it because it produces growth. And to us, it brings us into the image of Christ. And we must come to realize that God's purpose is not so much our comfort as it is shaping us and molding us into the fullness of Christ. Not so much our happiness, but our holiness. Not so much our comfort, but our character. So Paul reminds us of that. If we desire to be joyous and triumphant, we need only to come and adore the one who is always faithful. Adore him. And then he gives us good reasons why we should adore him and begins to tell, answer the question of how to do that in two simple ways. If I could just sum it up to this, here's what I want to talk about in the few minutes we have. First of all, I'm convinced that if we're going to be joyful in all situations and triumph in all situations and all circumstances, first of all, we've got to quit trying. And secondly, we've got to start trusting. Simple as that. Now, simple to understand, not so easy to do. We've got to quit trying. That is, we walk in grace, not trying to work out our problems, but we start trusting. We trust and we focus on Jesus, not in the circumstance we're in, and in his power and ability to bring us, to change us through those situations. So let's talk about it. First of all, I think we've got to quit trying. I know that sounds kind of weird and maybe a little uh, counterintuitive to you and probably not what you would expect me to say. I know there are a lot of instances where we are given commands in Scripture and given imperatives of what we are to do. But in reality, when it comes to being this idea of faithfulness, when it comes to our spiritual journey, when it comes to our spiritual walk and developing a growth in Christ, we have to start by the act of quitting our trying so hard. Quit trying. Now, if I could go all the way back to the first of the chapter I just read, the first verse of that chapter, Paul gave another strong word to Timothy. Here's what he said. Now, remember, he's talking to him before he hands off this baton of leadership. And here's what he says before saying, remember Jesus. He says this. He says, you, therefore, my son, pointed at Timothy, stinging words here. He's not writing a summary for the church. He's saying, you, Timothy, I'm talking to you. Here's what he says. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. Now, what does that mean? Some versions say grow in the grace. The idea is really to be empowered. The idea is derived from, derived from a word that is a passive imperative form, which means to empower. And the tense of the verb calls for an ongoing response so that the command really is best translated, keep on being empowered by grace. Now, that's a concept that's kind of new to some of us. We think of grace as it relates to salvation. We think of grace, how it relates to us becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ. We often don't realize that now Paul is saying, not only do we come to Christ by grace, but we are continually empowered by grace. Theologians call this kind of verb a divine passive because it strongly implies a divine agency. In other words, God does the empowering. Now, that's a tough thing for us to hear sometimes. Christ is the source of our power, he's saying, and we receive that power from him by grace. Grace is the means by which this power flows from him to us. Now, according to our nature and by our nature, that's difficult. In fact, I'm going to say the hardest thing we really ever do as followers of Christ is to believe the gospel and to trust his grace. 
<laughs> you say, what do you mean, Pastor Eddie? I mean this. It's really difficult for us to believe the gospel and trust grace because we are always wanting to work. We're always wanting to do something. We're always wanting to perform and trust that our performance meets with God's approval. And yet now Paul is saying that we need to be empowered passively by the Holy Spirit of God at work in us through his grace. Now, it's not going to be easy, and so Paul goes on to talk about in this chapter, the, he, he gives examples of how difficult it's going to be and, and what it will take on our part. With, there is our participation on our end. It's not that we do nothing. There is a participation. For example, he says we must exercise the discipline of a soldier, verses 3 and 4. We have to exercise the dedication of an athlete, verse 5. And then he uses the illustration of the diligence of a farmer in verse 6, and he says, yes, yes, you, it takes a discipline, a dedication, a diligence, but all all in check by the grace of God and allowing the grace of God, the grace to empower us through the power of Christ. Yes, we participate in our growth in godliness, but Jesus is the source of grace and the one who is ultimately responsible for each person's progress. So that's the sense in which I mean to quit trying. I don't mean to give up. I don't mean to say, oh, the situation's hopeless. I'm just done. I'm, I might as well quit. That's not the attitude at all. That's not the, 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 the measure at all. The, what is meant by that, what I mean by that is simply this. We've got to yield that response. We've got to yield that control to the grace of God and the power of God. We have to learn to walk in grace. Now, again, that's a little bit different for us. We, we, we know we come to Christ by grace. We're saved by grace. Do you understand we're sanctified by grace as well? Not only do we come to Christ by grace, we walk in grace. The good news uh, is that, when, that grace or the gospel is not over when you get saved. The, the gospel isn't the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. It fills all of Christianity. The gospel is not just about salvation, but also about sanctification. And every part of our Christian life must be driven by grace. It's the hardest thing for us to do. Our tendency is to want to perform. And then Paul goes on to say some more about this and to, to kind of strengthen that thought. As he says this, he says, remember, remember Jesus Christ. <laughs> I almost want to insert here, oh, come let us adore him, right? Remember Jesus Christ, who's risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. Remember that Jesus Christ has freed us from sin and death through his death, burial, resurrection. Remember Jesus, that he is the true king through the lineage of David and according to my gospel. And then he says, for which I suffer, this gospel, this good news, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Remember Jesus. He has delivered us from sin and death. And remember Jesus. His word is powerful and not bound by any restrictions. It's not bound by our circumstance. It's not bound by our enemies. It's not bound by our feelings. It's not bound by what we think. The word of God is not bound. It is powerful and sharp like a two-edged sword piercing into our hearts to grow us, to mature us, to lead us in a path of righteousness. This is why, he says, verse 10, this is why I endure all things for the elect so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So stop trying. We, we got to understand we are not ever going to be able to perform well enough to remain faithful. We just aren't. But now watch this. Secondly, he adds that we have to start trusting 
We don't just quit. We don't just give up. We move our trust and our confidence from ourselves, from me, to him. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, this saying is trustworthy. Now, that little phrase in the Greek is pistos halagos, which means literally a faithful word. This is a faithful word word. We can't miss that because five times in Paul's letters scattered in the New Testament, we find this little phrase, and this little phrase always introduces us to some kind of an important saying, something that many believe was a part of the hymnology of the early church, and many believe it was a hymn. In fact, if you look at your your copy of Scripture, you can see that there's a a definite rhythm, a a definite meter to this, and, and, and something that could easily be seen as a hymn. But what's important is what he says, and, and what's important is where it goes with this. Listen, he says, for we died with him. He's going to pull together four paradoxes here, and in these four paradoxes that are almost proverbial type sayings, he's going to put a conditional phrase to it that's going to grab your attention. Listen to what he says. He says, for if we died with him, here's the faithful word, if we died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny or reject him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot, cannot lie about himself. So let's look at those just a moment. First of all, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. Beautiful. I don't believe he's talking about his physical death here. There are some who do. I would, render, I would tend to think he's talking about spiritual death here. I would tend he's thinking the same way he's thinking when he writes Romans 6, when he talks about us dying with Christ and being buried with him in baptism and risen to walk in newness of life. What we see here is the foundational truth of the gospel, and that is if we trust Christ, if we trust him and receive his gift of eternal life, we will live with him forever. Second paradox, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Again, conditional, and yet we can't put too much emphasis on the condition because we know from verse 13 that those who are truly found in Christ will indeed endure. But the point he's making is, as we endure in Christ, we reign with him. And those injustices, injustices, those unfairnesses, those difficulties that we go through now will one day be vindicated in the next life. Third, he says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. The word deny there is better translated reject. If we reject him, if we reject him, if we reject the gospel, if we reject his message, we reject his death, burial, and resurrection. Hebrews tells us if if we reject that, there's no sacrifice available for us. If we reject him, there is a cost to pay. So please understand that we cannot reject Christ. And then he adds, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, what's he saying here? I think he's talking about something a little different here than rejecting. Here he's talking about faithless. If we fail him, that's the idea, that's the thought. If we fail him, he remains faithful. In other words, if we fail him, good news, he will not fail us. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny the promises that he's already given. Where we fail, he will succeed. One of my favorite theologians, Warren Wiersbe, says it this way. He says, victory doesn't come by trying to be faithful, but by looking to the faithful one. Where we fail, he doesn't. Where we grow weary, he never does. Where we fail morally, he never does. Where we fail spiritually, he never does. 
And so the takeaway is very simple. And what I want us to see and really glean from this, the idea of this very carol is this. Oh, come, all ye faithful. But even when we're not faithful, we can come. Why? Even when we fail, we can come. If you failed him and you feel like a failure in your faithfulness, you can come. Why? Because here it is. His faithfulness to us isn't based on us. So I want to close out by talking to three camps today, and you're going to fit into one of those camps. I'm going to fit into one of these camps. Everybody's going to fit into one of these camps. I want to speak, first of all, to those who are not followers of Christ, to those who are followers of Christ, and third, to those who aren't sure which camp they fall in. For those who are not followers of Christ, you, you've not come to Christ, you've not trusted Christ, you've not given your life to Christ, maybe you're still seeking, you're still trying to figure it out, you're still exploring, you're wanting to know a little bit more about faith, and that's why you tuned in today, or maybe a friend had you uh, look on while he or she is watching, but for whatever reason, you're here, and you don't know if any of this is true. I want to say to you, if you want to be joyful and triumphant, if you want that joy that flows in your heart and a peace that goes beyond understanding that we like to talk about at Christmas, if you want the real joy and peace that comes into our life, if you want triumphant, if you want victory in your life, here's how it comes. You stop trying and start trusting. Stop trying to be better. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop thinking if you can only come to church enough or if you can only uh, be moral enough or if you can keep the, keep the Ten Commandments, maybe God will one day uh, weigh you in the balance later on and give you eternal life. No, no, no. Stop trying that and trust Christ and his finished work on the cross. On the cross, Jesus died for us to pay our sin debt so that when we stand before God, the sin debt is paid. And we realize that even though we have not been faithful, he is faithful. And that his faithfulness is not dependent on us. Now, the second thing are those who are followers of Christ. I want to speak to you just a minute. Because as followers of Christ, sometimes we get lost in this idea of grace. We get to the point that we get disconnected from grace. We get to the point that we think, you know what? I, I thought grace is what happened when I came to Christ. I didn't know grace had anything to do with my life in Christ. And then yet, now you're learning it has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. How can I, even though I've come to Christ, Eddie, I don't feel that joy right now. I don't feel that victory right now. I don't understand. I'm not sure that I have that. What's up? Well, what's up is you're walking in your own strength rather than in the strength of Christ. And so my thought to you is, again, from the scripture, simple. Stop trying. Start trusting. Stop trying to get better. You're saying, oh, I realize now, I get it now, I'm just trash, I'm no good, I'm, 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 I'm lost in all of these things, and I'm, I'm not faithful, and I don't know if Jesus has anything to do with me anymore, I've, I've, I've kind of forgotten about him. Oh, whoa, hold on, hold on. Remember that not only are we saved by grace, we must walk by grace. Stop trying and start trusting him. Start trusting his word, start trusting his promise, start trusting in his love for you. Paul says, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. You say, I know, but I don't think I deserve it. Well, the truth is you don't, and neither do I. <laughs> That's the wonder of this. It's the glory of this. It's the good news of the gospel is that, no, we don't deserve it. 
And, and notice does not give us license to continue in sin. Paul addressed that in Galatians 3. I'm not suggesting you continue in sin. Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. And he said, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? No. You were saved by grace. Now walk in grace by faith. Trust in Christ. Yield to Him in your life. And then finally, for those who just aren't sure, you don't know which camp you're in, I would say the same thing. Start, stop trying and start trusting. Stop trying to figure it out and trust Him. Stop trying to get to a position and simply start trusting Him. I'm so glad years ago somebody wrote down those words, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. I now realize not only was he talking to the shepherds and to Anna and Simeon and to the Magi, he's talking to Eddie. And he's saying to Eddie, O come, come and behold him, born the king. Come and worship him. And together, he says to us, Oh, come, let us adore him. How can I adore him? Listen, it's easy to adore the one who is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. It is easy to adore him when we understand his faithfulness to us isn't based on us. It is all based on his incredible love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's his offer to you today, my friend. I trust that you'll say yes. Trust him. Stop trying and start trusting him. May I pray with you? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace that is abundant to us. Thank you for opening our eyes to see that we will never be good enough, strong enough, religious enough, faithful enough, but that you are enough for all of that. And that your death on the cross covers our sins, pays our sin debt. Help us, O oh God, to not only be saved by grace, but to walk in grace day by day by day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody's waiting to talk to you today. Somebody's waiting today to have conversation, to have prayer. Just click on the screen. Just connect with some of us here. We'd be happy to help any way we can. God bless you, and I hope you have a very Merry Christmas.